The follow-up is simple. Ask a question, listen to the answer, then follow up. I'm your host, Noah Kozlov. Enjoy. The follow-up today is with one of my oldest and closest friends. Her name is Nell. We met at overnight camp when we were 14. We also went to college together. Her phone number is one that I actually know off the top of my head. I don't need to go into contacts on my phone. She has her master's from Harvard. She's an educator, a wife, a mom of one son with another on the way this summer. So now, when we were 14 at overnight camp, was this life on your mind at all? So, yeah, it's funny. When you initially asked me this question about, you know, is this where I would have expected life to be? I thought you kind of threw me a softball. Um, My mind immediately went to three pretty obvious aspects of my life, my marriage, motherhood, my career, and my knee-jerk reaction was, yeah, yeah, this is where I thought my life would be. Um, Maybe not life in general in the world, and I won't get into that, but, um, but my life, yeah, I think I've always been a really goal-oriented person, and I sort of had a clear idea of what I thought I wanted um, at that time. And so when I reflect back, I can superficially check all those boxes. I'm married. I'm a mom. I was a teacher, and now I continue to work in education. So, yeah. And then I thought I was kind of done, And uh, <laughs> except that's definitely not the case. I think the more that I thought about this question and, and thought about what did I expect when I was 14 or 15, what did I think my life would look like and what would that mean? And then I think about these areas of my life, marriage and motherhood and my career in sort of artificial ways. It's what I would have expected. But when you get to sort of the details of what that means, it's not at all what I had in mind. And is it more so because of how you got there? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if it's so much because of how I got there as it is that, well, let's take marriage, for example. I think if you would have asked me when I was 14 what my top priorities would have been, absolutely, for a marriage, you needed to have the right dress. For your wedding. And also I definitely would have been marrying a guy who played guitar and looked preferably like Jordan Catalano from my so-called life. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I got those things, right? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, okay. So Dan doesn't look like Jordan Catalano, but arguably he's more handsome and he's definitely more literate than Jordan Catalano. Um, And he happens to be an amazing guitar player and a musician. Um, And our wedding was amazing. And so, yeah, superficially, again, I'm checking those boxes. But I think, you know, when I say it's not what I would have expected, I think that was kind of the extent of what I thought about. Um, You know, I came from a house where my parents had a really happy marriage and nobody ever fought in our house. And my parents just seemed to have this very natural way about the house. They had these natural roles that just sort of seemed to happen kind of magically and things functioned smoothly. I can remember 
starting to think about that when I was in high school or college. And I remember my parents actually had this comic strip up on the fridge that said something like it was a kid sitting in therapy and the kid was saying, you know, the problem is my parents never fought when I was growing up and kind of complaining about it. And my parents were kind of mocking that notion. But I think, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about having an intact family, but you know, one unanticipated part of marriage, I, I think I kind of didn't know that conflict was a healthy part of a partnership and I didn't know how to disagree. Um, I wasn't good at being wrong or accepting responsibility or even saying I'm sorry. And, and I don't blame my parents. I don't mean to say that, but I think that I just never thought about those elements. So in another way, I've, I've grown a lot and marriage is a totally different thing than what I would have anticipated. Right. But I mean, I would think probably similar to my parents that they would hide certain things from us to protect us. And oh, I would, absolutely. I would, I would do the same thing with Eden that, you know, I don't want to say certain things in front of her or use a certain tone of voice with Marissa in front of her, but then it's got to get to the point, I guess, when we're older and when she's older, that we need to talk about it and prepare her for that type of life or maybe not. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, being a parent and, and, and a teacher both is finding that balance. And I think that, you know, thinking about the ways that we model how we work through conflict and how we negotiate roles and how we, how we share responsibility, but having really explicit conversations about those things. I mean, certainly in my, in my job teaching, those are things that I try to, to teach kids that conflict is okay. Conflict is good and it's natural and it's how we get through it. And so I bet that there were lots of instances where my parents were doing those things, but I was a kid and I was a teenager and I was as self-absorbed as anybody else. And you know, it's a good thing that they didn't fight. I'm so lucky. But I think, you know, in that way, I, I needed to learn that. And I, and I think, you know, as you bring up being a parent, that's another thing that just the reality is so different. I mean, as you said, I'm, I'm a mom now of one child with another on the way. I always dreamed of having two kids and that was going to be the perfect life. And I was going to unconditionally love my parents and be the best mom, (laughs) Um, and, and the reality is so different and it's so much more beautiful and amazing, but it's also so much more complex. I mean, I, I thought, you know, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you felt this way and maybe you didn't, but I thought that the moment that Theo was born, I would look at his face and be totally in love with him. And I wasn't. He was born and I looked at him and I was like, oh, you're cute. But I didn't feel connected. I didn't feel totally in love. I didn't feel all of those things right from the moment that he was born. And it took time for me to feel invested and connected. And and once I did, I was simultaneously racked with this anxiety about the fragility of his life. And mm-hmm. And I think, you know, learning that aspect of life is also so important that life is fragile and it, and it can go away, but, but that, you know, the love that you build for a child that you don't get it right away. And, 
it's not perfect and it's not neat. And we have these questions like, how do we model conflict for our kids in an appropriate way that's not too much and it's not not enough? And it's just, it's so much more than just that unconditional love that I could check off on that box. You think our generation is more likely to have those types of conversations than our parents? Or do you even know if our parents were having these types of conversations with their friends? Mm. It's interesting because, you know, I have those conversations with my parents sometimes. And also as an educator, especially now in my role as an administrator at a school, I talk with families a lot about how to field those conversations with their kids, how to navigate the divorce in their family or the loss of a loved one and what parts to show and what parts not to show. I certainly think for my parents, it was a really conscious decision to not fight in front of us. I think that they had both come from homes where there was conflict and there were, there were real traumas and they wanted to protect us. And I'm grateful for that. Um, I think that, you know, there's always, there's always something that a kid can go to therapy for. Right. And (laughs) so it's a joke that (laughs) it's a joke that, you know, that, that kid in the comic strip on my parents' fridge, you know, his parents never fought in front of him, but at the same time, you know, we're human and, and we're going to make some of those decisions that seem like the right ones for us. Um, I think in our generation, generally, the trend is towards finding a balance between being a home where anything goes and the child is the center and the parents are permissive to the other end of the spectrum where the parent's voice is the authority and the child doesn't have a voice. I think the active conversations that I'm seeing around me as a parent and that I'm advocating for as a as a school administrator and in support of our families is really let's find a balance where the child has a voice, but it's a conversation and we do address those elements. Um, And that's been really, you know, that's been really fulfilling for me in a way that I could have told you when I was five, I wanted to be a teacher, you know, and Mm -hmm. certainly when I was 14, I was well on my way. I knew exactly which high school teacher I wanted to be like. Oh, really? Um, Are you you close? (laughs) Mr. Geibel, you know, it's been a few years since we talked, but when I was in grad school, I reached out to him to interview him for a project. He has always stuck in my head huh. as, as somebody who, who found that perfect balance in connecting with his students. Um, and also, you know, being somebody who you had a lot to learn from. Um, but I thought, you know, that that would be such a secondary part of my life. I thought you know, and that was really from this question that you asked me at the beginning of our conversation. The thing that was most surprising to me was like, when I was 14, I would have said, oh, I'll be a teacher. But it would have been kind of just this ancillary piece of my life. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized actually is for me, my career has been hugely important to me. And it's been a driving factor. And it's been a fulfilling part of my life. And I just think I always thought for me that once I had my children and I was married that everything else would kind of fall away. And those are certainly my priorities, but having a job that's fulfilling to me makes the rest of my life feel more fulfilling. And 
it really drives me. And I think that I would have never anticipated that so long ago. I just had no sense of how complete I could feel from having that input and feedback from another part of my life. And I think it makes me better as mom and a, and a better partner too. And that's not the case for everybody. But for me, very surprisingly, it, it has been. Thoughtful as always. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Noah. Take care. Here's a good Nell story. Our last summers as campers at EKC in Morgantown, West Virginia. We went to a camp next to a dirt lot that sold car parts and guns. But it was also right on a lake. Anyway, a few nights earlier, Nell and the girls had taken chalk and written Quad 2 Love. Quad 2 was their group all over camp. It wasn't even a prank. It was just so corny still to this day. So the guys thought we needed to do something big and we did. We broke into the dining hall and took syrup and cereal and ice cream bars. I don't remember how we kept those ice cream bars cold. But either way, when everyone left for evening snack the next night, I stayed back and covered the steps to the girls' cabins in syrup. And then put all the other stuff in their clothes and on their beds in hopes that the raccoons would be there when they got back. You talk about the Eagles running the Philly special to perfection. This was executed with that type of precision. They freaked out, rightfully so. And as I'm cleaning the syrup off the steps to Nell's cabin after we had a massive water fight, I hear Nell shouting from inside. Noah Kozlov is the most immature boy I know. You know what? That night she was right. I'm just glad she forgave me by the time we got to college. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or download the Vocal app. Take five seconds to leave a five-star review and another 30 to write an iTunes review. And if you want to continue the conversation, send me a note on Facebook or Twitter at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V, or Instagram at Wawa Run, W-A-W-A. It's a Philly thing. Thanks for taking the time to join us on The Follow-Up. The Follow-Up is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com. Vocal Now.